Great. So, um, I would normally say, is what, what can't we discuss? <laughs> what can't we discuss? Obviously. Um, uh, sheep in the in the Himalayas. Right, so we okay. can't discuss that. Uh, Any other mountain Because I'm not very interested. Not very interested in the Himalayas. Okay, so that's out. The Andes. Andes. Well, uh, you're one of them. <laughs> I don't have any um, sheep. <laughs> okay. Yes. Good. I noticed you got rid of them straight away but um, we can't discuss that bloke with a really long beard walking past because he might get he might get annoyed and come over and nick your microphone he looks like he's fallen out of a jumble sale yeah (laughs) do they have jumble sales here that's a nostalgic term you don't remember jumble sales do you I remember jumble sales very well well I suppose you you look like you've been to a few only joking I have a favourite jumble sale do you have a favourite jumble sale a favourite jumble sale probably the one I went to in about 1978 wow where they had about 100 Beano comics for 1p I remember that really I used, to, I used to get my entire collection of Star Wars figures from Jumbo Sales. That's brilliant. And they were like 10p a pop. Before, before, you know, before the, I say it was about early 90s. There's this mad program that's just started on this thing called Quest TV called Toy Hunter. Have you ever okay. heard of it? I've heard of Quest, but I haven't seen it. And, it's, and it's like this American guy just goes around the country looking for rare toys. And, you know, it's, it's fascinating. Oh, well, it he needs to go to the Jumble Sale in Hamble in 1993. Yeah, that's he needs if to we go. can arrange. I mean, he's probably a big fan of Doctor Who. He's got access to a TARDIS, no problem. Some sort of time device. It. <laughs> it's it's yeah. the way forward. What do you think of this Peter Capaldi bloke as Doctor Who? I'm not a massive Who fan, but... I like... See, I like Malcolm Tucker. <laughs> Yeah. So I will only, I will we tune in just for him yeah. to go, cunt, yeah, yeah. fucking cunt, yeah. cunt, hey, hey, hey. That would be probably after the watershed. I'd hope so. <laughs> <laughs> it would put off. Yeah. I went yeah. to... Um, Doctor, what did he say? Yeah. Doctor, oh. <laughs> Doctor, oh. Hold on a moment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Doctor, uh, there's going to be a few issues with that. Um, on the uh, cutting room floor. Um, I went to the screening of the 50th anniversary. I've never, I've never been into Doctor Who. Me neither, really. Um, my, really. One of my colleagues on the podcast said, you come along and see it. It was weird. What sort of people did you get there? Dressed up people. Yeah. But like, you know, but not like they'd spent a lot of money on it. <laughs> Low budget Daleks. <laughs> Genuinely. That's I, great. It was like, I couldn't, I couldn't <laughs> get the, tell. Get the, get the cereal packets out. Yeah, that was 100%. Oh, 100%. It was like lovely. special K helmets. <laughs> that sounds good to me. You know, I, I would like, probably fit in there. But I didn't know <laughs> what they were trying to represent. There was nothing in the movie or the extended TV special that reflected the audience. Yeah. The second thing that worried me, they all got up and cheered. Before it went on or no, after? No, during. During. <laughs> <laughs> this is interesting because when I went to see, you know, like there was a massively long gap uh, and then there was the, the, the next Star Wars film. You know, yes, there was that yes. enormous gap and then there was the, the Star Wars film with Ewan McGregor. And so I went to see that. I was at, went to a really early showing of that. The audience were cheering as soon as it came on. By the end, it was just like... <laughs> <laughs> They'd seen Jar Jar Binks too, you know what I mean? too much. Like too everyone much. staggered out going, oh my God. But it was very popular at the very start anyway. You know, certainly the first three seconds were, you know, went down very, very well. I, I, I went quite late on. And there were three of us in the cinema. People, the word had got out. Yeah, Just clearly. The word had got out. <laughs> Jar Jar... Uh, I remember I went to see uh, Good Morning Vietnam once in there when it originally came out and I was the only one in the cinema <laughs> and uh, they, they still played the adverts which is interesting they were sort of expecting me to go out and buy cars and you know <laughs> yeah. which, which I like, did this guy looks like he drinks <laughs> yeah that's right yeah it worked unfortunately I've got a garage full of these things uh, yeah normally you do have a garage full of cars I've, well and uh, unless you don't drive 
It's just a garage then, isn't it? Yes, yes. Full of so this, I'm interested in this Doctor Who thing now. Now you're going to get a big audience of unusual people listening to this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> if I start tag- tagging it with Who, Doctor Who, <laughs> yeah, Capaldi. Yeah. You'll get millions of people going, this isn't about Doctor Who. And, and what are they at least, you'll get, at least you'll get the listeners. You know, get the uh, listeners in. I mean, if there's anything as a general life rule, it is get the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be the way, doesn't it, on uh, on the internet quite a yeah. lot. Be popular. Yeah, be popular. Ooh, on yeah. Twitter, be popular and everyone listen and retweet. I know, I know. I know I'm I not know. popular enough for that yet. Well, you I'm know, working on it. I've got five accounts, but I'm still not popular. Well, you see, you, you know, you haven't been famous since the age of 24 or whatever. Mm. You know, that that can help. That can definitely help with some some of your, you know, if you get. Twitter people that way it's always useful again get the TARDIS out (laughs) is that that the go to answer yeah everything I say is going to just be related back to the TARDIS what's your favourite mass equation TARDIS yeah (laughs) let's go find out favourite mass equation (laughs) straight to the TARDIS absolutely none I'm afraid yeah so I was never very good at maths that was a massive sort of blank spot in my my brain and uh, remains remains so I was told by my science teacher uh, back in the the land of GCSE far off far beyond land Hopes and aspiration. G- GCSE pronounced gus. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was told I would never pass science at GCSE. Yeah. I was in. I was oh, in. Yeah. I started in the eighty percent club. I went down to the fifty percent club, and I got to the thirty percent club, and then I stopped giving out certificates for the club. <laughs> Man. And she did turned. You pa- did you pass or not? Well, she turned to me and said, "You'll never pass." That's a horrible thing to say. What a thing so to I'm, say. And she said, "I'm going to put you in the foundation paper because you're not. You haven't got a hope." So they gave me, sat the exam, the foundation paper, and it had all the equations <laughs> written on the first page, the inside sheet, because they thought you were that stupid, you'd still get it wrong. <laughs> I got 100% on both papers. That's great. That is great. That's impressive. There that you go. So there's a lesson there. I, I was so bad at that sort of thing, I would still have got naught. <laughs> um, yeah, I was terrible, man. I was terrible. It's, it's like just doing a countdown conundrum, but the words the right way around. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was always sort of good at English. That was the thing. Good at English, maths and science, absolutely rubbish. I could never really understand why anyone would, you know, in later life, when why anyone would want to calculate the size of an oil particle. I mean, I personally haven't done it myself very often. Right. Um, so you know, that went in one ear and sort of that was it. What know? sort of oil? That's the question. Is it? Are we talking about olive oil? Are we going middle class? <laughs> Even that wouldn't be very useful, would it? No. At a dinner party, you wouldn't all sit, around, sit around going, you know, actually, I've calculated the size of that. That's maybe, <laughs> maybe you would. I don't know what sort of dinner parties you have. Uh, <laughs> ones with food, I guess. Yes, and, uh, and balsamic vinegar. In Lovely. Oil. Lovely. <laughs> Why yeah. not? Um, so right. what, uh, that was good. So that, so that, that Doctor Who screening, you enjoyed or you didn't I, enjoy? I was a bit afraid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I I didn't, I did, one thing I established, I didn't belong. <laughs> right. I didn't belong. Didn't I'm belong not one of them. Yeah, you know, I went in, I did the new normal thing, big bucket of popcorn, ate it within the first fifteen minutes, sat there and thought, it's yeah. just a big Why telly. Is it's just to be quiet. Yeah, <laughs> and, then, and then and then stand up and start cheering. They'd see you know Tom, whatever it is, pal Tom Baker. Yeah, he turned like, up, did he? Tom Baker. He was there. And then oh, the guy with looking like Tom Baker was like, yeah, I'm Tom Baker. And everyone's That's like, That's the thing, isn't it? This care. whole this whole conventions thing is interesting, isn't it? If you, if you've been in, if you're in Doctor Who for one second. You could probably make a lot of money for the rest of your life by going to conventions and signing things. Mm. You know, I was man behind tree in the <laughs> John Pertwee episode, you know, Return of the Bananas or something. You know, you could probably, you know, people would queue for that. I went to, I was in Burnley for my sins. <laughs> We're going to get so I, much shit for this book. I, I went to Burnley. <laughs> <laughs> you must not do this. Um, it was, it was, it was, but I've got through that now. I've, I've gone through that stage. Yeah, you, I, got I, through it, you got through it. I went to Burnley, it was a Sunday. 
And I was... Uh, what, what date of the year was it? That's the... It was... What, what's that go of the month? Just noting it down here. It was in... Uh, yeah, for the inquest. It was... <laughs> <laughs> inquest TV. <laughs> from the makers of Quest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Literally. Yeah, a few legal problems with that one. Um, I think it was... Let's say May. It was in May. Okay. I was in Burnley on a Sunday in May. Right. And is there, is there, is there any poem. more of the story? I mean, there is. <laughs> I, was, I went for a walk... In, yep. in Burnley in, in May on, on a Sunday, Sunday. Yep. still still poetry in motion yep. and I went to the football stadium because that's why I was visiting the next day the stadium yeah. yes they have a stadium in Burnley okay. uh, a very old and traditional football club in that, in that Lancashire um, hill valley based sort of town whatever mm. you call it yeah. I don't think they'd call it a hill valley based town but that's what I'm calling it <laughs> hill valley based town or otherwise known Welcome as Welcome to Burnley. our hill valley based town they say in a Yeah. Have a brew. <laughs> Apologies for the Burnley listeners. Yeah. Um, hashtag Burnley. Yeah. And I went to the stadium, and it was a Star Wars convention. Huh. I wasn't expecting it. Welcome, come in. No wonder they were talking in that sort of Alec Guinness voice. They said, what are you doing? The force is here. There it is over there, just behind the chair. Well done. And they had um, uh, Kenny Baker. Yeah. At a little table. That's me. He, he, just made, he must make a, a living off going to those sort but, of things. Could you not? They had um, David Prowse. Duff, the I've seen him at these things as well. And then they had the nobodies. The nobodies. <laughs> and they had Boba Fett himself. No. Who the hell's that? <laughs> no one would know. <laughs> Literally. I could do that. Stormtrooper uh, three. Boba Fett. Uh, yeah, 50 quid for an autograph, please. Yeah. So they had, um, going back to the Phantom Message. Uh, Phantom Mes- uh, message? The Phantom Message. Phantom Message, I'm going to write yes. that. Episode 8, the Phantom <laughs> Message. It was a fax. <laughs> Just kept buzzing through. <laughs> The Phantom Menace. What is this message? Oh, it is Phantom. Now I die. <laughs> Dial up, you use. <laughs> yeah. Antiquated you are. The Phantom fax message. That's very dated. Jumble sale I found. <laughs> so you went to the Star Wars thing. So I went, I went yeah. in and I, I felt drawn. I had to go in. Yeah. Because this is unusual. Um, well, it was a force drawing you in. Clearly. And it was full on stormtrooper guys walking around with their yeah. guns and a full uniform. Um, you know, Vader, a number of, uh, a couple of Wookies, small, small guys. Yeah. Like a Wookies, please. Not like, yeah. yeah. Um, a couple of Jawas, which is <laughs> interesting. Lovely. Yeah. And um, and David Prowls with a big queue of people, twenty pounds a I signature. Know. I know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kenny yeah. Baker. Listen to this, right? When I, I went to the Comic Con, um, oh, a really brilliant. massive Comic Con, where States, it was, in, no, just 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 uh, right Excel. in the middle of London this year, Excel, and. Um, yeah, I think Carrie Fisher's autograph was fifty pounds. Yeah, so that's a lot. That's it's quite a lot, much. isn't it? I mean, no wonder she was there. But the thing is, <laughs> the thing is, these people they don't need that money, though, do they? I don't think so. Not really. If you, if you were in Star Wars, you don't really need to go to a convention, sit there signing autographs all day. I wouldn't have thought. I mean, what 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 what, what, what do they get out of it? A sense of I'm special sort of thing. Is it tax? It's all cash in hand as well, isn't it? Is it? I, I it haven't. Is. No, I've no, never. It was. Is it really? David Prowse is all cash, cash in, in hand. hand. It was. Actually, Andrew, I'm not coming. I'm going to do a Green Cross Code advert for the rest of your oh, life, no, You could have had a Green Cross Code uh, <laughs> poster for your... Uh, no. Strangely, if you say, no if you say, if, it. If you say to him, uh, can you sign this as the Green Cross Crow man, he, 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 just, he just signs an X. Yes. That's a, that's a joke for the uh, teenagers. <laughs> that's a yeah. 70s game. I know, yeah. <laughs> but then again, the 70s is back in a big way, thanks to half of these conventions, isn't it? Yes. You know, all this retro stuff is now current. But it, was, is mad. it was kind of depressing because the... You know, the, the woman that appeared in the Phantom Messenger <laughs> didn't exist. Yeah. Um, the woman that appeared in the Phantom Menace, uh, episode whatever it is, yeah. one, I guess, episode one? Yeah, yeah. it is, episode one. Uh, yeah. um, he was no good at maths. She, was, George she was a pilot in one of the races. <laughs> pilot? 
You know when they were racing yeah, 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 with, yeah, with uh, Anakin? Yeah. Oh, uh, Sal Bobo. Oh, Annie, you're a very good racer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the voice of Yoda. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and she was. She must have been in the film for about 80 seconds. Yeah. And there she is. Great. It's all the amazing. hope in the world in her eyes. I know. Was it? Was anyone queuing? That? No. No. She had a cup of coffee, so she had time to leave the stadium and come back. <laughs> she went to the town centre, went to Tesco, yeah, came yeah, back. Yeah. Nothing. Oh, yeah. You know, she looked at Kenny Baker there. He's got a PA. Brilliant. Kenny Baker's got his own person to That's hand him the things, oh. and he just signs. David wow. Prowse has got his own manager. Manager. What are, you, what are yeah. we doing today, David? Okay, yeah, yeah. Sit, 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 sit here. This yeah. is another convention. Yeah, he, he's going to sit in that chair. Okay, right, right, I'm off. Right. What's my motivation? Ripping off kids. <laughs> <laughs> it's nuts, isn't it? It is mad. And it I was... mean, what a great decision for those people that are to, have, to have, you know, been cast in that film. So if you were going to be cast in episode seven, yeah, then you wouldn't have to, would, have you, to would you take that option? Definitely, yeah. You'd be Mr. John Dredge of the convention world. I'd just turn up in the middle of the film and say, hello, I guess. <laughs> uh, I'm John, yeah, I just thought I'd, you know, turn up in the middle of this just to... I was in the area, to be honest with you. Uh, <laughs> in the galaxy. Uh, yeah, so from now on you'll see me at all the conventions. 30 quid, please. Uh, oh, you're, my... you're undercutting layer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what a, brilliant, what a brilliant job that would be, just, you know, incredible. I mean, I, I, I hear William Shatner goes to these conventions as well. I, um, who was I speaking to about this? Um, these people do not need to do it. <laughs> I, without, without needing to name drop, I was having a chat to Ed Byrne about this. We oh, put an interview out with Ed Byrne a couple of weeks back. Fringecast, listen in on the website, rgproductions.com. Um, and he was saying, William Shatner, he was doing it in his set actually. Shatner t- um, found on eBay people were faking his signature. Right, yeah. And then he'd also find, he'd go to conventions in, um, like, dressed up and track down people that were faking, saying, you know, I can get you Shatner's signature. You know, imagine this sort of dodgy backstreet kind of, do you want to, you know, because at a convention, it's no good selling them heroin. That's not going to go down well with the geeks, you know. Uh, flumps, maybe, and do you want a, do you want a ripped-off copy of, you know, William Shatner's autobiography? Yeah, signed. Yeah. Got a signed copy of Shatner. And Shatner goes along and actually threatens these guys because he's fed these up with this. Because he's putting you know. him out of business. <laughs> these people are, are not not as others. I think you know they're just not as other people. That's great. That's great. I mean, my favourite um, Star Trek person has got to be Leonard Nimoy. Ah. Because have you ever heard uh, Leonard Nimoy presents music and songs from outer space? That was his record. He made an LP. Uh, in I think it was late seventies. It's, it's definitely worth checking out. It is so good. It was in yeah. It was a, it was an album in the days where you got albums. Uh, younger listeners may need to look that up on the internet. We're talking. Um, we're talking, we're talking like vinyl. vinyl you know? And he made this record. It was like twenty minutes aside, which is uh, pretty short. But then a lot of it was just instrumental filler. So and then the rest of it. The, the rest of it. He, he, there was two or three tracks where he, he spoke on it. And one or two where he had a go at singing. <laughs> okay. And it is very, very funny. Because he did it straight. You know, he was trying to do a straight <laughs> album. And uh, it really was not, you know, didn't go down in, it went down in the annals of history. It really did. One way HMB's gone bust. Yeah. And he did it, the, the, the opening. There's a, there's a very funny instrumental version of Star Trek, which, which seems to, the Star Trek theme, uh, which is on an electric guitar. <laughs> It just sounds like low-budget, palatoy, sort of Woolworths <laughs> Star Trek version. It's sort of playing on a very, very sort of low, uh, lo-fi guitar. And in the background, at one point, it's such a, it was such a low-budget recording. You could hear someone moving a chair, <laughs> just scraping a chair, and they, they just left it in. They couldn't be bothered. 
<laughs> I knew this wasn't gonna sell. Someone coughing in the background. <coughs> you carry on, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> great. I love it. And you know, he. Uh, I like the fact that he sort of got a sense of humour about that sort of thing. Looking back at it now. Nothing to do with anything. Nothing to do with anything. That's what this has been so far. It's. it's I, I was. I did a bit of Twitterage today uh, about nothing because nothing fascinates me. Nothing fascinates you. Well, that sounds a bit boring. Because that's unfortunate. What an un- interesting life you must lead if nothing indeed. fascinates you. Because to me, nothing is. Everything everything. is uninteresting. Yes, but is nothing something? Nothing. Nothing. To, yeah. Nothing to do with anything. Yeah. I. I just like that phrase. I do this show called the Nothing to Do with Anything Show, listeners. And that, that phrase. I liked that phrase because it's sort of meaningless. It doesn't mean anything at all. Nothing to do with anything. What does that mean? So anyone who thinks that is intrigued by that title might like my sort of humour, which is basically a load of nonsense. Uh, so it's quite hard to think of like good titles for things, you know, things that sort of sum up the sort of show it might be. There's not many titles that do that really. Well, what came first? The show concept, an episode, and then the title? Or a title, concept, and then the show? Yeah, the whole thing was a bit stream of consciousness, really. So I think I just sat down and thought, right, I'm going to do a really silly, nonsensical show. And then I just put my brain in sort of nonsense mood. I went in the nonsense mood room. <laughs> yes, it does exist. Yeah, it does exist. I have one in my house. And uh, I just, it's, yeah, it's like a stream of consciousness type thing that emerged. And what, what was that? What was the, the spark? spark you, know, you said, hey, I'm going to create nonsense yeah. yeah well I've always liked people like uh, Spike Milligan I always liked The Goon Show I always liked Kenny Everett do you yeah. know Kenny Everett his stuff was sort of weird stream of consciousness sort of inventive silly stuff and I just thought I just wanted to I always had these I've always had a lot of strange ideas and I just wanted to sort of get them all out so I thought I'll put them all I'll bung them all in this one show <laughs> and uh, you know that's what happens yeah lots of odd things going on and what was that? What was that process like? Was that, you know, did that become episode one, sort of series one, episode one? Was that a pilot? Did you just sort of put it on tape first and listen back and go, actually, let's publish it, let's get it out there? And... We sort of started me and uh, my friend, who's uh, the producer. We started just doing like two or three minute shows. You know, we would do like yeah, a show that lasted two minutes or something, three minutes, five minutes, just experimenting really, just on a little website that he had called uh, 404funny.com and uh, we did a lot of this and then it gradually developed and developed uh, until I just thought I'm going to do a whole series of this series of 15 minute programs based on the sort of little demos we'd been doing and uh, I didn't know whether it would work or not because I just I had nothing to base it on I just thought I'm just going to make it and put it out there and see what happens because it's like because it's a bit weird and a bit unusual and a bit odd I wonder what the uh, response would be, you know. And in fact, it's been it's been really good, really good. So uh, sometimes it's a bit. If you've got a strange sense of humour, uh, you can feel a bit exposed when you finally sort of put it out there in the in the internet. But because uh, I wondered whether anyone would understand it, <laughs> <laughs> and all the peculiar references and things like that. But um, it's gone really, really well actually. And uh, I w- I've always like radio and audio and the fact that you can just do anything at all yeah. on a budget of nothing you know I always like the fact that you can just be anywhere with one sound effect and a bit of music you can go anywhere you do anything really it just seems like a really limitless sort of canvas you know well that to me is the, the appeal of the podcast is total control 
Yeah, radio is scheduled, you get 28 minutes. <coughs> Podcast, if you want to put out 10 minutes, put it out there. See who listens, see what happens. Yeah. 30 minutes, great, an hour, maybe a bit too long, but actually you've got that creative content to develop and do and put out there what you want. It's grown enormously. I mean, were you listening to other sort of examples before that, before your show? I mean, obviously you've got your sort of historical context of comedy and what inspires you and what you enjoy. Was there something that you were thinking, that works, I like that, there are other podcasts out there or other shows on you know, Radio 4? Um, yeah, I guess, I think I did it because nobody, nobody else wanted to do it. You know, no, <laughs> no one was interested in that sort of thing, it seemed to me. And the only way I could express what I had in my mind sort of comedically was to actually write it, produce it, perform it and put it on the net. Yeah. You know, that was the best, that was the, as you say, the great thing about podcasts. You can, do, you can express yourself however you like. No one's saying, can you take out that particular word? It won't work in Chittlehurst where they don't <laughs> understand their sort of words. You know, it's much more, it's like, you know, it's freewheeling, doing it whatever you like. Yeah. Just let your imagination run riot. You know, that's what I like about it. And um, you can have a vision or have an idea, put it out exactly as you want and see, as you say, see if anyone likes it. And uh, Otherwise, it's... How the hell are you going to, you know, get anywhere? Really, yeah. I don't know. Even things like, with things like stand-up. To me, it seems like you're sort of limited a little bit by the sort of audience that goes to stand-up. Generally speaking, you know, certainly when you start out, a lot of them are, you know, it has to be a certain way to get a laugh in a room like that. Whereas with radio, with audio, you can just do what the hell you like. Yeah, and I guess that's like parameters. Really, yeah, that's what you I mean. Know, you've yeah. got that parameter. You have to sometimes conform or work around that. Whereas for me, the freedom of putting together, you know, what we've done today, this, this is, is listenable to an audience, and actually, you know, where people can, I like to, I like, I quite like to challenge my own perception of, you know, what I can produce or, you know, what I want to put out there, and actually try things. And there's, there's no, you know, there's, there's a safety blanket. You just put it out there. Because if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But you've got to learn somehow. Yeah. And I think this is the perfect platform to do that. Yeah. And as I say, I did wonder what people would think of it because it's so odd. And I didn't really know anything else that was sort of like it, really. I could put my finger on and say, this is like that. Um, Because my frame of references are quite specifically odd. And uh, so when we did put it out, and then it got picked up by the British Comedy Guide, it's Mm. on there at the moment. And we got some good reviews, really good reviews. and you know, some interest and stuff like that. Uh, It was a sort of relief that nobody thought I was mad. And uh, it's just really great just to be able to write whatever you like and just have it, get an audience for it, you know, in that way. And you don't have to conform, you don't have to think of certain things you must do. What's, you know, as a a creative individual, you know, you're basically, there's no hiding. You're putting your ideas onto that format, and it's out. It's yeah. there, and people will judge it, yeah. you know, enjoy it, or, di- or not enjoy it. And to yeah. me, actually, that's what the best sort of comedy is. If you can split opinion, I think I've done a good job. If someone really hates it, they've listened to it, and they've made an opinion. If someone really loves it, fantastic. But rather than someone going, it was all right. Yeah. Um, when, you put, when, you, when you put things out there, you wonder how people who are really famous deal with it. Yeah, I deal with all the attacks. You know. I agree. You know, they must get a lot of flack all the time. I mean, I don't think people realise that, you know, there's a person there. You know, it's not just some image to be th- have things thrown at. You know, it's, 
I mean, once you get really popular, God knows how, how that must work. Well, how does, you know, the, the higher, yeah, Twitter. Yeah, 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 Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So many also comments. What sort of messages must people on Steve get every yeah. day? We, we, we don't know millions, about. Millions of messages. <laughs> yeah, millions of followers. Yeah. He's yeah, absolutely brilliant yeah, just yeah, yeah. I, there's there's so many there's so few superlatives I could say that really describe how wonderful that guy is yeah um, I haven't been lucky enough to see him present and do you know seminars and different things it's incredible but he must get just a barrage of shit yes how do yeah. you run your yeah. social media yeah yeah you know if you're Ricky Gervais or if you're yeah. Al Murray you've you know, got to be careful you've got to be careful new on the scene and you're developing and coming yeah. into a career you know uh, John Lloyd someone like that do they have a hidden Twitter account somewhere we don't know yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you're so Stephen Fry's like he's got to be, he's got to so be careful what he thinks, yeah. what he tweets. He's got to be careful yeah. what he tweets. You know, you or me just put any old rubbish out there, and uh, <laughs> particularly you. Well, but, uh, I'm very good at that. <coughs> I think hashtag pray for Cockneys today was yeah. my favourite. Um, just put rubbish, you know, as another just, tag. Just general. No, shit. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> Someone like Noel like Fielding. I liked it. There was a. Someone like Noel. Your work. It's basically shit. <laughs> someone, someone like Noel Fielding must get. You know, he's left Twitter a few times because of it. Well, he's right on the line. So you know, uh, Ray Peacock this right. year in his show, in his Edinburgh show, which is saying the amount of abuse he gets. Is he? And he's not famous particularly. You know, he's not, not in the stratosphere well of the global. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's in a small network in the UK, and he's he's well, a good, great podcast. And, it's not of that nature, but you get so much abuse. There was a bonkers story in the paper today about this Mary Beard, who seems to have befriended one of her internet trolls and got him a job. That right. is that is a genuine story that I just saw in the, in the, in the paper today. Sounds like some sort of appeal. For £2 a month, <laughs> you could adopt a troll yeah. and get them work with Mary Beard. But, you know, people... I don't know how people that are really no. famous cope with it. I guess they don't. I guess in the end they, they say, right, Ignore my PA will now do all tweets. PAs. That's what I do anyway. I don't know about anyone else. There are, no, oh, there are, there are employ, actresses. I employ there an are, idiot. Don't worry. It's not me. None <laughs> of this hello, is me. Hello, there. Can I do your Twitch, please? <laughs> but um, some, uh, some not particularly well-known actresses have other people that do their tweets for them. It makes me laugh. It's brilliant. So, you know, on one of my tweets, I put something like, you know, my PA is now responsible for all my tweets. And, you know, people, some people believe this. It, you know, it's a bit odd, isn't it, Twitter and social media? Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing. It is incredible. But it's, uh, it can be scary. What's, um, what's your favourite part of that creative process? Uh, what? The it, uh, for, for what, what, what you put out in general. So, you, you know, you'll put out little one-liners, you'll put out... Uh, a, a quite a reference to TV or something that's happening or something in the news the podcast you know the, the work that you do in that sphere yeah what's your favourite part of that process what do you enjoy most is it just popping the first thing in your mind you just like bosh well, I'm like, going to yeah. put that out in some format yeah because I, I get all these odd comic ideas during the day that otherwise I'd have there'd be no outlet for or it would be difficult to have an outlet for so it's nice just to be able to think Okay, this is a weird joke I've just thought of. I'll put it out and see what, if anyone responds to it. Yeah. It's just nice to be able to do that with those thoughts. Otherwise, we just go unrecorded. And you know, I think when people look on the uh, these these sites, it gives you a vague idea of what that person's like. You can, you can sort of tell far amount from someone's Twitter feed. You know, oh my God, some people you have, that I've uh, unfollowed is uh, you know the amount of people I've unfollowed is quite a lot. You know, you think they're going to be interesting people, and then they tweet something, you think, oh my God. I won't go into that, but uh, there are there are people who do that. But then, um, I, lo I love being able to yeah just to express myself in that way, like most people, I guess. And then coming back to the podcast, 
and actually creating, I mean, how does this show, talk us through that format of the show. How does it go from pen to mm. podcast? How does it work? Well, it's all very tightly scripted. And uh, yeah, I just basically sit down and, and, and write whatever comes into my head. Although um, there's different features in the show like, and different characters that keep turning up. Okay. And uh, they tend to keep... T- but the, the way I've done it is I wrote series one. It was sort of all different features and sketches. Nothing recurred. And then it did well. So with series two, I sort of brought a lot of those things back that had only been in series one once. So the, I do these serials, these little adventure serials in this podcast. I think, you know, you've got episode one in series one. Episode two is not until series two. Yeah. And by the third series, you've got episode three. So they're quite <laughs> drawn out. That is not how something like The Archers works. <laughs> well... It could so, do. So, yeah, it's quite good, you know. So I just let my mind wander, really. Like, we have these serials. One's called um, uh, The Case of the Thing That Happened. And originally, it was only going to be one episode. And then I thought, no, I'm going to carry this on now. And it's about this guy, this inspector, Inspector something from Scotland Yard, his name is. And he's basically trying to find someone, whoever it is, that's stolen all the artichokes in the world. Someone's stolen all the artichokes in the world. And it turns out to be the artichoke stealing gang of New Morden. <laughs> but you don't find that out till episode two. And uh, so I don't know. I just let my mind wander. There's all sorts of weird features in it and characters, as I say, that come back if people like them. I guess. Yeah. I've got David. David Lynch comes on and reads the weather out. Okay. That's you know the you know uh, you know the avant-garde <laughs> film director David Lynch. Absolutely. Uh, it's not not actually him. It's me. But you know. The idea is that. We'll sorry, that yeah. The idea is David Lynch reads the weather every week, <laughs> because I read somewhere that for a while he did actually read the weather out on a on a community station. Brilliant. One of his interests is reading is is the weather. One of David Lynch's interests is the weather. So uh, I thought that'd be good if we have him doing a weather report every week. So he comes in and yeah, he just sort of talks about his latest eight-hour film and uh, annoys everybody. <laughs> and things like that. Anyway, the process is probably, I'd sit down and write it, and then my colleague, Richard Cray, who's the producer, co-writer, he'll sort of edit it and write other bits and say, that doesn't work, that does work. Sends it back to me and we write like that. And um, then we get the cast in. We've got a small cast of really great sort of character actors. Yeah, we all go around to sort of Richard's house and record it, and uh, he edits it, puts all these sound effects and music on. He's brilliant at... um, He's brilliant at sound design, I suppose you call it, just because I give him the most difficult sound effects to do. Okay. Like, you know, a wall driving along at speed or something like that, and he'll, <laughs> he'll, he'll somehow do it. And uh, I just love, um, I love combining sounds to, mm. to, to, to get a, an unusual sort of sound picture, you know. It really it's adds like, another dynamic to the podcast. Yeah, like, not, not that many to, podcasts to use sound effects and no, music, really. Not to an effect. Not, not in that way. So the way we do it is like as if it's a, an actual radio show, yeah. you know, a 15-minute com- radio comedy show, sound effects, music, cast, script. It's like yeah. that. And, we, you know, it's good fun. It takes a long time to write and produce. I mean, the last series took us about a year, the whole thing. Okay. On and off. Awesome. On and off. We met once in January and then once January uh, 2014. No, it, was, uh, it took about a year on and off, yeah. That series. <laughs> so that must why be, we ask? Yes. Well, <laughs> why bother? I don't know. So where with um, series four then? Are you in that creative process at the moment? Um, I'm sort of thinking of where's the, is it is yeah. it is it I don't know uh, is it 
I don't know, is it, is it thoughts? Is it things you've written down, you've noticed? Are there coming, recurring themes coming back? Is it an embryonic stage? I don't know. What's... I'm, I'm thinking about it. It takes me a while to get into that mindset of, of, of being committed to writing that amount of material again. Because writing a series is six, five minute, uh, six 15 minute programmes. You, you have to be in that sort of mindset to really want to do it and go yeah. for it and do it properly. And, um, so I'm sort of building myself up again. So I have a bit of a rest and then ideas start to sort of formulate and I think, oh, that would be funny. Or, and, uh, and some things continue. Like, as I say, we bring back certain characters. Yeah. There's this guy called Farmer Collins, who's a singer, he's a farmer who writes songs about agriculture. And uh, so we have him come in. Uh, we have this thing called Dear Dredge, yes. where people write in or phone in with their problems. Because <laughs> I always thought, have you ever heard of, there's this thing in one of the, the newspapers called Ask Mariella. Okay, about I, know Mariella. Dear, I know Dear Deirdre. Yeah, well, Ask Mariella, it's Mariella Frostrup. Frostrup, yes, okay, yeah, yeah, I've come across it. And, all, and people just uh, write into her with their problems. And uh, I always thought, why would you do that? If you, if you have a problem, why are you going to write to this person? <laughs> you know, you know, she's not a psychiatrist, as far as I know. I don't believe she's qualified. She's just in there's the paper. No, there's no certificate. So you know, yeah. maybe there are. There must be a large amount of people who think, oh, I don't know what to do about that. Right, write to Mariella Frostrup. Well, I mean, so I guess some people believe in Mariella Frostrup. You know. Uh, it needs to be a greetings card. But it's there every week. People writing, "Dear Mariana, I have a problem with my boyfriend. You know, he is dead or something." <laughs> yeah. And so she has issue. to. And then she just comes back. Yeah, no problem. I know how to deal with this. Yeah. Being a journalist, uh, you know, I've come across this many, many times. I know how to deal with all these issues. Uh, thank you very much. It's like they don't ask Alex Salmond because everything will end with vote yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think there should be different people. Your problems you know, with you my taps. Yeah, oh, well, it's a probably a problem with the, uh, well, yeah. with the, with yeah. the tap itself. Dear, dear De Niro, how about that? Oh, Dear, dear wow. De Niro, I'm having problems with my, uh, you know, my girlfriend. Uh, what should I do? Who gives a fuck? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. next, or next week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, could, uh, that wouldn't take up much of the magazine. Or his know. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. De Niro Weekly. Or his peer <laughs> Your Cat magazine is very interesting. Have you ever read that? Your, your cat. cat. Yeah. Your, your cat. Your yeah. cat. Not my your cat. Your yeah. Cat. No. I picked it up. There's nothing to do with my cat. Right. It was like many other people's. It's all opinions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love these bizarre. There's thousands of these odd magazines. So you get, you if know. it was concrete, the version. concrete quarterly, there's one that I like. Yes. Okay. You know, I've read you know, that spoons. many times. Spoons. Yeah. Spoons monthly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's amazing. So yeah, these influences are. Things like that, you know, the bonkers things well, that, really that you come across just makes are you things go, that I, are inspiring. I could put that into a situation. Yeah. I could bring a character in, I could bring, yeah. I don't know, parody a celebrity in it. I mean, some things you don't really need to push that far for them to be hilarious. <laughs> I mean, there's a, one of the best sketches we did on the last series was this thing based on an actual uh, clip I saw on YouTube of a very early interview with Pink Floyd. Okay. And it was the interview was this guy called Hans Keller, who's this sort of strange German... Uh, classical music's gone. Why he was interviewing Pink Floyd is not made clear. <laughs> but he clear he obviously can't stand them. <laughs> and he's trying to and this is meant to be this is like an interview from like, you know, black and white days of T V and he's going, uh, one thing I would like to ask you, uh, Pink Floyd, first of all, why has it got to be so terribly loud? <laughs> uh, I personally just can't bear it. Um, why is it loud? I have grown up with classical musicians it is not that loud. Please explain. You know, and they're going, well, we, we just tend to like it. You know, we just tend to like it. 
Yes, I can accept that, I suppose, yes. <laughs> he, he obviously hates them, you know. So we did a sketch about that. We did, um, we, we just used the same character, actually, and we sort of turned him into a, you know, strange interviewing person who, who uh, interviews uh, <laughs> thrash metal groups. <laughs> Another thing we do in the podcast is a sort of very surreal version of Terry and June. Have you ever heard of Terry and June? Because <laughs> yes. that's actually on again. All these things, all these old things oh, are now on, on back, television yeah. again. So it makes my stuff more rele- seem more relevant. Yeah. I mean, I remember it the first time when it was terrible. Now it's on again and it's terrible. It's so terrible yeah. plus one now. Yeah. <laughs> but we do these weird Terry and June spoofs where they end up like destroying the neighbor's house with an anti-tank gun. You know, <laughs> stuff like that, you know. And uh, it all seems quite current. Yeah. And it, but in other ways, sort of a bit old-fashioned in a way. But um, yeah, you know, I just hope we can, you know, develop it and you know, get get on with it. You know, get somewhere with it. The um, who did A. Davidson? <laughs> that was me actually. Yeah. Was it you really? A. Davidson. Yeah, it oh, was me. We, you heard we, that bit. <laughs> it's brilliant. Um, it's brilliant. Yeah, it was, we did this sketch called uh, Yeah, Aid in Britain. I, I broke my I broke my ankle two, three, about two years ago, oh, and I, it was when Aid in Britain first came on. <laughs> so I spent twelve weeks with Aid Evanson every afternoon and plus one with him guiding as my therapy because I'd look forward to that every day. Yeah. And it was just so cool to hear it. And actually, for me, it was brilliant. But I mean, I, I love Aid. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's incredible. Is. Yeah, it's his right. music's brilliant. Yeah, the comedy right, stuff. Right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Again with Rick. But yeah, yeah, bring him back. Make sure he comes back. He's got to come back. He's got to come He's back. He's got to come back from that, well, yeah. that fourth series. Oh, yeah. That's just a request from a fan. He's yeah, got to come yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, we do the sketch, so it's something like, um, you know, and now, uh, you know, Adrian Emerson goes around Britain in another edition of <laughs> Aid in Britain. And he comes and says, right. Good evening. He says, I'm going around this bloody boring, bloody Cornish pasty shop, eating bloody boring Cornish pasties for some reason. Who are you, you bastard? <laughs> that sort of thing. And then he basically destroys the shop. Yeah. Next week, Adrian Emerson <laughs> destroys another shop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, we do the odd impression like uh, John Peel. Um, yes, very good. On tonight's programme, Sessions from the Fall again. The 400th Session from the Fall tonight. Um, yeah, various people... Um, that's the good thing you can just experiment with different voices and that's another thing I got from Kenny Everett I think he was the first person to do two voices at once you know and I always loved that you know he would do Captain Kremen I don't know if you heard of that it was a space serial and he'd just do all the voices that was the first time anyone had done that really and that really influenced me I just thought wow you can just do all the voices yourself so I was always really fascinated by that and uh, so we sort of hopefully carrying on that tradition a little bit yeah but then with your the, the voice artists that you work with oh uh, yeah, that, yeah that repertoire can obviously yeah I'll t- I might as well I better mention that it, the, the cast as well please do so yeah Richard Cray he's the co-writer producer brilliant producer I mean in the last series he 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 managed to produce a disco version of the Archer's theme tune which you got you must hear to believe it's incredible he put the Archer's theme tune to a sort of disco beat and then after that, somebody says, um, The Archers Go Down the Disco was produced this week by Niall Rogers. <laughs> um, so the rest of the cast, you've got uh, a chap called Greg Haste, who's a very good character, comedian. He's just finished a run in the 39 Steps oh, in the Criterion Theatre. We saw him a couple of weeks ago. It was great. He plays a bad actor in my show. Uh, he plays a sort of cross between himself and Donald Sindon. <laughs> uh, 
And then we have uh, Anna Emerson, who just did Edinburgh this year. She did a show about uh, a sort of Hollywood star. It went very well, apparently. And she was in, she's, she's in the Boom Jennies sketch group. Okay. They've been doing Edinburgh for a long time. Yeah. She's great. Uh, and a chap called James Shakeshaft, who's a very good stand-up. He does the sort of Radio 4-type announcing. And uh, is that it? I think that is it, yeah. So there's a cast, a small cast, and we uh, all record in a silly way, basically. I've probably forgotten somebody. Bernard Cribbins, oh yeah, he does stuff. <laughs> uh, we got Sally James from Tiswells to do a few lines in the last series. That's before your time, but uh, it, it, was, is a little it was nice of her to do it. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, any, any famous people listening, you know, get in touch. Barrymore yeah. follows us, so he might listen. He does? <laughs> Barrymore? He follows us. Does he? Yeah. Wow. I had a little conversation with him the other day as well. So. Very good. Very good. There you go, Barrymore. How's things? Um, I'm trying to get the chocolate box. I'm trying. You're trying? Yeah. They, they cost too much. Tough. Is it not that desperate yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Get one in and no one will notice. Yeah, he can just do both voices. Yeah, hopefully. I think they're the same person. We do this thing in our a podcast called... Uh, the shoe shop news. I don't know if you've heard that. It's uh, it's these brothers, Mervyn and Bernard, helicopters, and they both just basically give uh, news updates about their sh- the shoe shop that they run in Leighton Buzzards. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> they, just, they just talk to each other about it, you know. This week nobody came in. Yeah, no one came in last week. Oh, that's true. Yes. So um, the good the good thing about audio is that um, any any situation, no matter how ridiculous, you can just do instantly. And uh, I'm surprised more people don't do it, you know. Hmm. Yes. So are there other, which are the other podcasts that really, that you're listening to at the moment, you're like, oh, they're doing a great job. Um, Absolutely none. Great. (laughs) Yeah, I don't, I used to, so I'm I'm influenced by radio shows. Well, I'm influenced by radio. As I say, certain radio shows. Four Extra, I really like, because it's all the classics, you know. That last week they've been playing have you ever heard of Vivian Stanshaw yes uh, they've been playing a lot of his old shows radio shows recently which is they're great they're sort of very surreal again absurdist nonsense um, with a sort of rock music edge I, I always really liked um, yeah the Goon Show's on every week on 4 Extra that's always really great The Burkis Way is a, is a, is a favourite of mine that is a I suppose you could say almost like a Monty Python-style radio yeah. show from the from the 70s. It was produced by John Lloyd. Yes. And uh, it was written by Andrew Marshall and David Renwick. David Renwick went on to write One Foot in the Grave. Yes. And, and Jonathan Early Creek. Early Creek, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's a really great show. It plays with form a lot, you know, and we were influenced by that. Uh, you can still hear that every week. There's a, there's a programme on 4 Extra. They're all old shows, you know. A programme called Son of Cliché. It was written by Rob Grant and Doug Naylor. And that is where Red Dwarf came from. Uh, Neil Innes, I really like, of the Bonzo Dog Band. He did a radio series called In His Own Words. It was pretty mad. Uh, It's sort of classic stuff, really. Hancock. Anything that's on 4 Extra, I tend to really like. Yeah. Good recommendations. Yeah. There it is. The Boosh on radio was pretty good. Yeah. What do you think of the Boosh? That splits people down the middle. No, no, I, I enjoyed their early, the earlier series, I must say. The live stuff was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <coughs> it needs to come back. Yeah. There's a gap. Yeah. There's a gap. 
the Noel series is sort of good, but I think not quite as good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right, so I don't know how they're gonna let's finish down. off with uh, where can we find you on, okay. on the social media? Yeah. Okay. Right. You still on? Yeah. We're still going. We've got just about enough battery. Okay. Yeah. I mean, um, well, my Twitter name is at John Dredge. And also I'm on Facebook, John Dredge. There's not many people with that name. It's a bit weird. Uh, and if you want to listen to my podcasts, just go to the British Comedy Guide, uh, put my name in, and they will come up. There's three series on there. Um, they're all 15-minute episodes. And uh, hopefully, you know, you'll find something of interest there. So that's it. And also a YouTube channel uh, with uh, and my double act's called King Dredge. Lots of silly, bonkers sketches on there. There you go, sir. That's where you will find me. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed, sir. And Merry Christmas. May the force be with you. (laughs) Yes. I'm Peter Pillerbeam, amateur hotel critic, well-known on websites such as TripAdvisor.com, but despite what some people say on there, I'm not a fanatic. My online hotel reviews have proven so successful in my own mind that I've decided to turn them into this spectacular radio presentation, and today I will be reviewing The Gables in Bexhill. The first thing I noticed when I got to the hotel was the awful stench. This later turned out to be the result of a sandwich that had been left in my pocket for several weeks, but nevertheless it did not bode well. The owner greeted me at the door with a rather loud hello, rather than the brisk handshake I prefer. Was I in for a problematic time? On entering the lobby, I saw a painting of the sea on the wall, which made me extremely anxious as I'm unable to swim. The dangers of the ocean waves were now playing on my mind, and I felt that to have such a frightening image in full view of the reception area was somewhat inappropriate for visiting families. Once in my room, I noticed a small fridge containing a complimentary bottle of champagne, which I immediately complained about, as to my mind this sort of thing encourages alcoholism. At first, the room appeared spotlessly clean, but after a while I noticed flakes of skin all over the floor. Admittedly, this was due to my eczema, but the cleaners were unable to get all the flakes out of the carpet for some considerable time, thus encroaching on my daily ten-hour nap. The following morning, I was served breakfast in bed, which was very annoying as my specialist reverse diet requires me to start the day with an evening meal. Hadn't they thought to inquire? The brochure had mentioned the fact that there was a spacious dining area in the hotel, but this turned out to be completely untrue because when I got there at lunchtime it was full of people. Unhappily this brought on my recently diagnosed xenophobia, yet my simple request for the other diners to be moved to a different room was met with thinly disguised scorn, so much for the welcoming atmosphere. On visiting the bathroom I was shocked to discover that there was no water coming out of the taps. When the manager informed me that they had to be turned on first I admonished him about the lack of instructions. To cap it all, I was very offended at the end of my stay when I was expected to pay some sort of bill. I found this both awkward and uncomfortable, especially as I had no money. I was then moved to a room that looked almost like a prison cell, which I'll be reviewing in my next presentation. And let me warn you, it's not going to be pretty. Thank you.